Welcome to a new edition of Heartland History, the podcast of the Midwestern History Association. I'm your host, John Lauk. Our show today is produced by Dana Brown. Today we are joined by Michael Steiner, who is an Emeritus Professor of American Studies at California State University, Fullerton. Mike received his Ph.D. and M.A. in American Studies from the University of Minnesota and his B.A. from Carleton College, also in Minnesota. Mike's most recent book is entitled Regionalists on the Left, and it was published by the University of Oklahoma Press. Welcome to the show, Mike. Thank you, John. It's a pleasure and a joy to uh, talk to you. Mike, as you know, uh, at the Midwestern History Association, we're obviously very interested in a particular region of the country, a particular place. What do you see as the role of place in our lives? Great question, John. Uh, Well, you know, I often hark back to a great cultural geographer named E.W. Meinig, who simply pointed out that everything takes place. And to me, that's just kind of a wonderful adage. It's something that um, with my teacher, Yi Fu Tuan at the University of Minnesota, just um, built in my mind is that the fact that we just take this the spatial dimension of our lives for granted. It's like a fish in a, in the, in a fish bowl doesn't think about the water that's holding it up. And I think part of what I've been doing for much of my life is trying to draw attention to this kind of hidden uh, spatial dimension of our lives. So it's a place is a powerful, powerful component in our lives. It's something we need to think about. And, you know, where we live um, is just taken for granted, and uh, I'd like to open our eyes to that. Um, you know, the regional influences that are omnipresent. Um, well, I could go on and on, John, but uh, it was Annie Pruel, Annie Pruel, the great uh, novelist, said that uh, as she, when she dies, all of her memories will fade away, even the most important people in her lives, but her last dying images will be the places where she lived. Um, that's a little melodramatic, but uh, it has such a great power in our lives, and I guess I, I wanted to point that out. So, I don't know. I hope that's a, getting you an answer. Well, the place or place is a critical element of regionalism, which you have been studying for 40 plus years. Mike, can you describe uh, for our listeners, what precisely is regionalism, and uh, what, why has it been important in the Midwest in previous decades? Another vast question, John. I remember being asked that when I took my uh, PhD orals way back uh, a long time ago at the University of Minnesota, and I had a pretty good answer at that point, and I've been working on it ever since, but... So regionalism, I mean, it, to me, um, you know, it's just the fundamental fact that culture varies over space. Um, you know, we no culture is uniform, especially a culture, a national culture, as uh, vast and various as, as the one that we are parts of, a part of. So it varies over space. And um, in many ways, you can think of it as the spatial dimension of cultural pluralism 
you know, just as we think about ethnic diversity, religious diversity, gender differences, we also have huge differences uh, based upon where we live and uh, the regions we live in and the places that we inhabit and how they influence us and we influence them. And I could add one other thing to this. I mean, I could go on and on, but um, also I see that the region that we live in, the places that we live in, especially regions, which I could go on to the definition of what is a region, but um, can be seen as containers of cultural diversity. It's a place where people interact and it's the it's the close to home intimate places where cultures can um, develop identities and they can also interact with one another. And this is the, the stage and setting of cultural pluralism. So I don't know, that, that's just the beginning of an answer and I hope that helps. Well, you mentioned uh, in your answer that you uh, took your preliminary oral exams at the University of Minnesota, and uh, I just wanted to ask you about your Minnesota roots. I mean, there's a reason you went to the University of Minnesota and not the University of Florida. Tell us about how that background in Minnesota shaped you and caused you to be interested in regionalism. Well, the, the University of Minnesota, uh, where you earned your Ph.D., um, you were in the American Studies Department. And you mentioned Mary Turpy and some of these other important figures in the field of American Studies. Uh, could you tell our listeners about the importance of of the American Studies program at the University of Minnesota. Uh, I think it had some of its formative years. The whole field had its 
formative years at the University of Minnesota. Is that right? Um, yeah, I mean, I'm kind of a kind of a chauvinist for the program, and um, I've had you know some well-tempered arguments with colleagues in American Studies over you know what were the first programs, and you know Minnesota was very early, I believe, started in right after World War. Two and uh, Tremaine McDowell uh, wrote a terrific little monograph called "Was It Region Nation World?" and wrote some really powerful stuff about the importance of the region within a national and global context. So, anyway, um, Minnesota does have a tradition. Uh, Mary Turpey was there early. Um, Tremaine McDowell, Walford um, Sibley, as I mentioned, David Noble, and. Um, the, and there's been a strong tradition. I believe in the 40s and 50s, they did summer seminars on regionalism. That's something I need to look at a little bit more closely. And they strongly encouraged my work, you know. And it wasn't just a chauvinistic, isn't Minnesota, isn't the upper Midwest, isn't the Midwest great, but a real critical affection. And uh, kind of a, there's a tradition in Minneapolis of, uh, you know, uh, progressive radicalism and, and the blend of that with, with regionalism and was very exciting for me. So I was a lucky guy to be able to work with these people and have their encouragement. Mike, you mentioned uh, a couple of times Yi Fu Tuan and uh, some of us who are interested in the idea of regionalism and place and space have uh, read a a good deal of his work. Can you tell us about him as a person and tell us about his scholarship and how it affected you? Yeah, that Yi Fu Tuan really uh, had a powerful impact on my thinking. He's a cultural geographer, a philosopher. I first learned about him through a man named John Fraser Hart, who was also in the geography department at the University of Minnesota. For some reason, I felt myself as much a geographer as an historian, and I was told that there was this wonderful group of geographers over there, and I talked to John Fraser Hart, and he said to me, you should go and talk to Professor Font down the hall. And uh, they're so different. John Fraser Hart is very empirical, uh, salty uh, expert in, you know, the shape of barns types and the shape of manure piles, and um, Yi Fu Tuan is very ethereal and abstract, theoretical, and boy, I, you know, ping-ponging back and forth between these two men just having conversations was incredibly stimulating. But Yi Fu Tuan, um, even though I described him as ethereal and abstract, is one of the great prose stylists. He is he writes with such clarity and without any any um, cliches or jargon. And he just has a, a wonderful way of describing how space and place influence people. That's just one of his his great uh, concepts, space and place. And I could go on a long tangent on the difference between those two concepts. The book, though, that really got me going uh, back in 1974 when it came out was Topophilia. And in that book, uh, Yifu Tuan talks about the power of place, human life, 
love of place and uh, that word topophilia and just this awareness of the spatial dimension of our lives has meant so much to me. And so Tuan is a, a, a very, uh, he came, he grew up in China, uh, he fought, well I could go on and on, but uh, he's an amazing, he has the most uh, global cosmopolitan intellect of any man I've ever met. He's just an amazing man. And, um, I think maybe that's enough, John. Well, Mike, <laughs> Mike, just tell us a little bit, just distinguish for us place from space for our listeners. You mentioned uh, John Fraser Hart. Um, I stopped at the University of Minnesota a year or two ago and went up to his office and visited with him. He is, uh, I believe, 92, and he recently taught his last class, his last geography class at the University of Minnesota, maybe about a year ago. But I was talking uh, to John Fraser Hart, and he was very 
concerned about and very frustrated with the collapse of cultural geography or the kind of geography where you map cultural patterns uh, in the country, differing cultural patterns. And he thought the the field of geography had gone off in other directions, mathematical, et cetera, which was um, damaging to the old field of cultural geography. Have you noticed this, Mike, and is this a concern of yours? Another good question, John. Um, yeah, I, I was really moved by John Fraser Hart's essay way back about 1980, I think. Uh, the region is the highest form of the geographer's art. And of course, you know, being a devoted region regionalist, uh, that really moved me. And I think that uh, cultural geography has, has had such a deep impact on my thinking. And um, I would, you know, maybe it's a product of my age, but I would tend to agree with with Fraser Hart that uh, a lot of this uh, analytical, uh, quantified uh, geography. Uh, Tracing out specific specific variables, uh, maybe getting away from the larger patterns that we need to think about. On the other hand, it's a bit too simplistic to think of a region as just some simple, homogeneous, uh, easily mappable thing. There's so many variables at play, and it's such a complicated, um, intricate. I, I'm reluctant to say organism because that that raises all sorts of problems, but um, we need to be aware of all the complicated variables that go into, into play in understanding region. Also, need to know that there are many different types of regions. You know, regions for so many different variables. So, um, some of this, you know, the newer geographical research can point in that direction, and I think that's important. Um, there's also, yeah, also kind of a radical Marxist dimension to cultural geography, and I find that somewhat constructive, I must, I must admit, and um, I'd like to do more reading in that and see if I could, in fact, I think I have used some of it in my work, so that, that, that's quite useful. Well, Mike, you've um, you've mentioned a couple of times the intersection between radical politics and regionalism, and in fact, your most recent book uh, is devoted to taking a look at some of the prominent regionalists in American history who have been identified with the left, and I think of people like Kerry McWilliams, for example. Um, but I think the point of your book. Um, and correct me if I'm wrong, but the point of the book was to highlight for people that regionalism um, can take multiple forms in terms of politics. And you were highlighting the radical or left-leaning forms of regionalism. Um, and, and you seem to be saying that most people associate regionalism uh, with a kind of conservative politics. Is that a, is that a fair description? That certainly is, John. And um, I begin my book with something that happened to me when I was a Fulbright professor in Poland. I was giving a lecture in um, the city of Wubuj, and I, I had barely uttered a sentence and used the word regionalism, and two uh, young faculty members there shouted out, that's fascism. And, um, you know, I guess that's one of my missions 
in life or in my scholarship is to show that regionalism is not just a right-wing impulse. Um, maybe I'm exaggerating, I'm sure I am quite a bit, but I think if you go out into the uh, public realm, you know, just ask someone in the street what is regionalism, I think they would, would see it as kind of a if it's not reactionary, a very conservative sort of thing that if not just simply conservative, you know, it's something that uh, appeals to uh, traditional values, they would also say, oh, it's something that's going to disappear because we're all basically all the same. We all are on the Internet. And we all uh, get the same news. And, uh, you know, in this uh, modern, globalized world, we don't need these things anymore. So these are two two um, jerk assumptions about regionalism, you know, that it's reactionary, you know, every aspect of it or all dimensions, and that it's disappearing that I've, you know, argued against quite a bit. And uh, as you say, in my books and articles, I try to point out that regionalism can be a very progressive force. It has a lot of promise. It's important. It's not just... Um, you know, the southern agrarians um, wishing that we could go back to some simpler time. Okay, so good question. Uh, we are talking today with Mike Steiner, a longtime professor of American Studies at California State University, Fullerton. His most recent book is Regionalists on the Left. I would also point out for our listeners who are interested that in the recent Oxford Encyclopedia of American Cultural and Intellectual History, uh, Mike has written the entry for regionalism. And I noticed in that entry, Mike, and in some of your other readings, that you've taken the idea of regionalism uh, way back into uh, the distant past and connected it with romanticism and uh, various cultural regions of Europe. Can you talk a little bit about the longer-term arc of regionalism and its longer-term history? Carefully, John. <laughs> well, I, in some of my research, which um, I tried to contain and then put into that long um, encyclopedic article, uh, it seems clear to me that um, nation, the whole idea of a nation, particularly a nation state, is a fairly recent construct in, um, in human history. Um, you know, I'm speaking very sweepingly here. Uh, the nation building of the mid-19th century, I suppose you could go back a little bit earlier to, um, you know, our revolution and the French Revolution, but before there was this sense of a nation-state, it's quite clear that uh, human human society was uh, what we might call a region, is, was very compelling, these closer-to-home uh, territorial units and sources of identity and um, uh, so you know I, I again I'm not a European historian but it's quite clear that regions and the word region in fact was first first emerged as a French word and it emerged back in the 11th century I believe that these closer to home regional identities um, preceded the nation state and um, you 
another. So, uh, good question, John. And I think this is something that we can apply to American identity as well. I was just going to say these questions of region and regionalism um, are applied in the Midwest, as you more than anybody uh, certainly knows. And there was a body of uh, a work that emerged in the late 19th century, early 20th century that um, would be identified as uh, Midwestern regionalist writing. And there were a lot of major figures associated with that era. And I'd like you to talk about some of the leaders of that era. Uh, One person in particular who you've done a tremendous amount of work on and a lot of important work on uh, their regionalist vision, and that was the Midwesterner uh, Frederick Jackson Turner. One of my missions in life has been to kind of uh, redeem or resurrect Turner as an important historian who had more, had much more to say than just um, promoting and praising the frontier in American life. And in fact, I could go on at some length about this, but he had two big ideas. One was the frontier, and the other was the section. And unfortunately, when Turner was writing, the word section was um, the word that was available that he had in his vocabulary. It wasn't until Turner was in his 50s, in the 1920s, that the word region or regionalism became part of the American vocabulary. But Turner had these two big ideas. And, you know, we all know about the frontier and the power that he argued it had on our culture. And, you know, there are a lot of problems with that argument, but it really captured the American imagination and the imagination of people elsewhere. It's a very compelling image. But the whole point of Turner's essay, 1893, at the Columbia Exhibition, was that the frontier was dead, it was gone. And Turner spent the rest of his life essentially searching for something that would replace the frontier. And he ultimately, you know, within about 10 years of his famous 1893 essay, came up with the notion that sense of place, regional identity, would be the satisfying sequel to the frontier. Now, I could go on and on with that, but um, that was Turner's second big insight, and we need to know that. We need to think about it. Um, You know, a number of people have recognized it, but all the... 90% 90% of all commentary on Turner deals with the frontier. So I think Turner, um, you know, that's important to me. There are other people, though. Turner wasn't the only one to talk about regionalism in the 1890s and also um, draw attention to the fact that there is this important place called the Middle West. Um, other people that were important were Hamlet Garland. Um, believe it or not, he was actually preceded Turner in coming up with the label Mid- the Midwest in the very early 1890s, Middle West. Um, Frank Lloyd Wright, uh, we all know the great architect, had a profound aesthetic sense of the Middle West in the 1890s. Even before them, and John, you're quite an expert on this, but before them, uh, people like Walt Whitman, 
uh, toured the prairie states and was full of enthusiasm about this being the heartland of American culture. He didn't use the word Middle West, though. Lincoln is an obvious person who uh, drew attention to the power of the heartland. And I've been working on Jane Addams. She was also very significant in this. So these are just a few of the people who um, drew our attention to the power of region, power of regionalism, and the significance of the Midwest uh, in the late 19th century. Mike, uh, what do you think the standing of regionalism is or regional studies is in the academy today is it a strong field of study or how would you characterize it well there was a time john when i thought it was going to it was surging to the forefront to be honest uh, and uh, pete and i wrote this uh, soaps book on region and regionalism in the late 1980s. It really, I really had the feeling that this was becoming a prominent, very prominent thing in American studies, in cultural studies, in social sciences and humanities. And it did seem to be the case into the 90s. In fact, um, it was a Karen Haltonen who gave a presidential address for the American Studies Association. Oh gosh, it was only about five years ago. Um, isolated American studies is a very significant field that American studies needed to look at. So there was this kind of trajectory from the late 1980s into the, you know, maybe 10 years ago that I felt regionalism was having some important prominence, but uh, I don't know. I, I have a feeling that it's, uh, it's perhaps fading as of late. Now, thanks to your work in the Midwest History Association, I think maybe we'll see some uh, reemergence of interest in the Midwest. I don't know about regionalism in general, though, and I, I would I would like to keep keep uh, fighting or uh, promoting it, and hope that we can see it as a component of cultural diversity, as a component of cultural pluralism, if you will, and as a progressive force is something that we really do need in this uh, complex, globalized um, world that we find ourselves in. We wish you the best of luck, Mike, uh, with that venture, and uh, we, of course, want to be supportive, and we hope that there is a strong and robust future for regionalist studies. We have been talking today with Michael Steiner, a professor emeritus of American Studies at California State University, Fullerton. Uh, Mike joined us today from Ohio, where he has retired to, to be back in his beloved Midwest. I'm sure that Mike will be at next summer's Midwestern History Association meeting in Grand Rapids, Michigan on June 7th if you would like to talk to him and meet him and talk about regionalism. Thank you once again for joining us today, Mike. Thank you, John. Thank you again for tuning in to Heartland History. If you would like more information about the Midwestern History Association, visit us at midwesternhistory.com. 
You'll have access to information about memberships, news about upcoming conferences, calls for papers, and panel proposals related to Midwestern history. You might also be interested in subscribing to the print journal Middle West Review or reading our online journal Studies in Midwestern History. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter and you can find us on Facebook. Until next time.